to come and open the word for us this morning. Good morning. As you can probably tell with my voice, I'm praying it holds out. I had the flu about a week and a half ago. I shouldn't be any contagious, but uh, still that lingering uh, cough that some of you may be aware of. I see so many faces here that I know, and it's great to catch up with you. Also, some new faces and individuals that I've met this morning. And I'm so thankful to have this opportunity this morning to be part of the pastor's Christmas rotation. Uh, Faith brings, we bring our greetings to you, and uh, we pray for you regularly and are so thankful for the ministry that you have here in our community. Studies show that Christmas is the number one most likely time that somebody who doesn't go to church would most likely say yes to an invitation to attend. In fact, 82% of people would come to church if simply invited. And so I just want to encourage you to simply ask those individuals in your circles uh, to come to church with you. And I think Christmas Eve, uh, 6 p.m., would be just a wonderful time for you to be able to do that. How many of you here would say that Christmas is your favorite holiday? Anybody? All right. There's several of you here. Um, Many of you, uh, that's your uh, favorite time of the year. Uh, For others, this time is a, a very difficult time. I know uh, there could be many reasons for this. Uh, Personally, for me, this is the first Christmas without my mom, uh, who passed away this last year. And so, perhaps you're watching online, or you're here today, and you're grieving the loss of someone you love. Maybe you're going through a particular hard time in your life. Uh, Know that this is a, a time of hope, because that's why Jesus came to bring us hope, even in the midst of sorrow. For some, Christmas may be a very stressful time. Gathering together, having to deal with dysfunctional family members. Now, none of you probably have dysfunctional family members. Not only that, but uh, sometimes painful memories. Our own securities can easily overshadow the joys that we're supposed to be feeling this time of year. What if this year could be different though? What if God could heal the ghosts of Christmas past? Now in this series, Ghosts of Christmas Past, uh, Pastor Steve has already shared with you how to heal from guilt and shame. Pastor Tim uh, shared with you about how to overcome labels. And today, I'd like to talk to you about something that's very personal to me. Something that God has done a real work in my own heart and life. And it's the topic of overcoming offenses. Anyone who has had any length of experience in church knows how easily people can get offended, right? I mean, it could be uh, the, the music, the color of the carpet, what someone wears, what someone doesn't wear, um, the way someone looked at you, what someone said or didn't say. The list could go on, couldn't it? And so it brings me to ask the question, why do we, especially those who claim to be followers of Jesus, get so easily offended? And I think you know, one of the reasons for it is that, frankly, church is filled with imperfect people. And imperfect people sometimes hurt each other. 
Now, that doesn't excuse the, the pain that it causes. That doesn't make it okay. It's just a reality of living in a broken world. And that's why when somebody visits faith, I try to let them know right away, I'm certainly not a perfect pastor. And we're not a perfect church. As uh, I think it was Billy Graham said, if you uh, are looking for the perfect church and you find it, join it and realize it's no longer perfect. But here's the fact. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're on a journey learning to live like Jesus. Learning to love like Jesus. And we don't always get it right. But we're working on it. And maybe you're here today, uh, here at Calvary for the first time, watching online. Maybe you've been away from church for a while and you're returning I'm so glad that you're here or are watching. And I, I just want to encourage you, please don't let the imperfections of people keep you from experiencing the incredible things that God wants to do in your life. If you've been hurt by someone, I believe that God has a very special message for you today of healing and of hope. Now let's be honest. It's hard to forgive other people, isn't it? It really is. And when someone hurts or offends you, how do you handle it? Do you hold a grudge Or do you find a way to overcome the offense? I want you to think about the Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. We're probably all familiar with it. And the main character is Ebenezer Scrooge. He was an old man or duck, depending on what version you watch, who experienced a string of hurts in his life. And these chains to his past lead him to become a bitter, lonely, old miser. And like Scrooge, all of us have things in our life that have offended us. We all experience hurts in our lives. And each Christmas, there are people who keep the score because of some perceived slights in their life. There are spouses who sit close together, but there's a growing distance between them because of hurts, whether they're real or imagined, in the past. There are always those who are waiting for the other person to make the first move. As a result of that, bitterness and resentment deepen and poison becomes more and more pervasive. By the way, Jesus tells us that whether you've been offended or whether you're the offender, we have the responsibility, no matter on which end, to make the first move. There are children who feel they aren't welcome at home because of something they've done in the past. On the other hand, there are parents who wish their children would come home. I remember when I shared this message earlier in the month, someone came to me after the message and mentioned how God spoke to their heart. They had been estranged from someone they had brought into their home and had become like their child. And uh, due to some events I won't share in their history, uh, they felt that it was time that God had them reach out to this individual. You see, it's important, this topic, because if you and I don't discover 
how to overcome our hurts, then we might end up haunted and chained up to the ghost of Christmas past just like Scrooge. So how do you and I overcome offenses in our lives? I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 118. And I know when we look at the Christmas story, we, we don't often uh, look at this topic. But I think it's so appropriate for us, especially this time of the year. And there are are few things in life that are more painful than the betrayal by someone that you love the most. Sadly, some of you here have experienced what I'm talking about. Have you ever thought about what Joseph went through? How he must have been feeling when he found out that Mary was pregnant. This is what we read. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. You can follow in your Scriptures or you can just look up here. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph and Mary were betrothed or <coughs> excuse me, pledged to be married. Uh, this period of betrothal would last for up to a year. At the end of this waiting period, they would be formally married in a public wedding ceremony. Now, I realize it sounds much like our engagement practice today. However, there are some major differences. And the first is this, is that to be pledged <coughs> excuse me, to be pledged to be married was considered just as sacred as already being married. In fact, to break that betrothal it actually had to be done by a legal divorce. So it was different than our engagement. Also, you couldn't live together until the wedding ceremony took place, even though you were considered already married. And so the whole idea is that there would be a a one-year waiting period. It was a time of testing for commitment, faithfulness, purity, So Mary turns up pregnant during this time of testing. And Joseph, he only knows one thing for sure. I'm not the father. What words would describe a man at a time like this? Anger? Confusion? Frustration, embarrassment, shame, rage, disappointment, heartbreak. Now, you and I know that Mary was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle of the Holy Spirit. But God had not yet revealed this to Joseph. Mary may have told him, But as we continue to read, if she had told him, obviously Joseph didn't believe him, believe her because he was going to divorce her. Would you blame him if somebody said they were miraculously became pregnant? This is what we read, verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Under the law, Joseph not only had the right to divorce Mary for her unfaithfulness, or so he thought, but he was expected to under those circumstances. But because Joseph was a just man, that means he wanted to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to do what was right in God's eyes. 
And because he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, which means that though he thought she had been unfaithful to him, he didn't want to humiliate her with a public divorce. So he decided to divorce her quietly. Now, in those days, a man could get a divorce in two ways. One, he could get a public divorce. He would go down to the city gate, and uh, by doing this, he would clear his name. But it would lead to Mary's shame. It was a public statement saying, I didn't get her pregnant. The whole town would know about it. Mary would be shunned. And according to the law, possibly even stoned. <coughs> or Joseph could get a private divorce by giving her the papers in the presence of two witnesses. But that would come at a cost. It would cost Joseph his own reputation. To not shame her publicly would actually bring shame to himself because people would assume that the baby was his. And so, by divorcing her quietly, he would publicly be saying that I didn't get her pregnant, but yeah, I actually did. Joseph decided to do the most loving thing what was best for Mary, not himself. And herein, I believe, we see the character of Joseph. He loved Mary, even though he <coughs> thought that she had been unfaithful to him. His love covered the offense. Proverbs 10, verse 12 says this, Hatred stirs up strife, but love what? Covers all offenses. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks what? Love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Isn't that the truth? Right? Peter said in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love, say it with me, covers a multitude of sins. But what does it mean to cover an offense? Well, first of all, it may mean that you overlook an offense. Overlook an offense. Proverbs 19.11 says this, <clears throat> a man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it's his glory, his honor, to overlook a transgression, an offense. To overlook an offense is not the same as pretending it didn't happen. It's overlooking the fact that it actually already did happen. It's a conscious decision that with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. In fact, let's say that here this morning together. I'm getting over being easily offended. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to let it grow into pent-up bitterness. As Craig Rochelle said, I'm not rehearsing it. I'm releasing it. I'm not rehearsing it. I'm releasing it. In addition, overlooking an offense <coughs> is not passively remaining silent for the moment and then storing it up for future use. Sometimes we do that, don't we? Now that's just called denial. It usually leads to bitterness and resentment and eventually we explode with anger because we haven't dealt with it. So how do you and I know when to overlook an offense and when to actually address an offense? Ken Sandy has uh, 
written several books on being peace a peacemaker. And he gives us several good questions to ask when it comes to do we overlook it or do we address it? And the first question is this. Is it dishonoring to God? Is it dishonoring to God? Is this offense a clear violation of biblical principle? If the offense is not causing serious harm to God's reputation or His work, then with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. Is it dishonoring God? Second question, is it damaging my relationship? Is it damaging my relationship? If the offense has not and will not create a wall between me and the other person or cause me to feel differently toward them for more than a short period of time, obviously when there's an offense, you know, there's that wall that comes up. But if, it's, if I can get over that, then with God's help, I'm getting over being easily offended. Now, you got to be honest with that. If it does damage your relationship, then God wants you to address it. Third question, is it hurting someone? Is it hurting someone else? Is this action causing harm to someone else or is it hindering their spiritual growth? If not, then with God's help, I'm getting over, say it with me, being easily offended. And finally, is it really any of my business? Is it any of my business? God warns you and me not to meddle in the affairs of others, especially those who aren't followers of Jesus. In fact, He tells us not to be busybodies. That's the word for meddling. And sometimes you and I can be guilty of meddling in one of two ways. Uh, for some, it's that we're just overly opinionated. We have an alternate opinion about everything. Now, I'm sure you never probably do that, but I, you probably can think of someone who does, right? They have opinion about everything. Yeah. Uh, the other way that we can be in other people's business is by having a critical spirit. And unfortunately, this can be very pervasive in churches where we, we find fault in just about everyone or everything. And, and that's what the unchurched really hate about sometimes the church is this critical spirit. So ask yourself, is it really any of my business? And if it's not my business, then with God's help, I'm getting over being, say it with me, easily offended. However, <coughs> sometimes, excuse me, the answer to the, one of these questions is yes. And that's when you and I can't <laughs> overlook it. So then what? Well, if the answer is yes to these, then God wants you to address the offense. Address the offense. For Joseph, being a just man, he had to address the offense. But he chose to do it in the most loving way. One night, Joseph, after he made his decision, he lay awake. He was staring into the blackness of the night. Can you imagine all the conflicting thoughts that must have been going through Joseph's mind? And then an angel appears to him. And this is what we read, verse 20. But as he considered these things, <coughs> behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from 
the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here, Joseph's contemplating how to overcome what he thought was Mary's offense. And God was actually providing a way to overcome all of our offenses to Him. Mary's miraculous pregnancy was the very means by which God would demonstrate His love for all of us and save us from our sins. And our sin is very offensive to God. Sometimes I don't think we realize that. Scripture says the wages, what you and I deserve because of the wrongs we've done, is what? It's death. Eternal separation from a holy God for all eternity. Sin is offensive to a holy God. But that's why Jesus came. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, He died in in my place, in your place, to pay for our sins in order to overcome our offenses. In order to bring us back to God. Isaiah 53, verse (coughs) 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. Reconciliation. With His wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Isn't that what we do? We want to do our thing. We want to do it our way. That's what got us in so much trouble. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you and I admit our sin that we've done wrong, when we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, and that He lived a sinless life, and He died in our place, was buried, and came back to life. And when we call out in Him, and we ask Him to save us, and forgive us, and lead us, He forgives you. It says He remembers your sin no more as far as the east is from the west. He releases you from the debt that you and I owe. See, forgiveness is at the very heart of Christmas. Jesus was born in a manger, but He was born in a manger to go to a cross to save us from our sins. To set us free. And when you call out on Jesus, not only does Jesus forgive you, but then He calls you and me to live a life of forgiveness. And He gives us the power to overcome the offenses that others have done against us. Paul says this, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy, beloved, God loves you. Compassionate hearts. This is what He wants us to put on. Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Here it is. Bearing with one another. And if one has complaint against another, what does it say? Forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. See, the very essence of Christmas is the truth that God has given us through forgiveness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And who are we not to forgive others when God has forgiven us so very much? So what better time is there than Christmas 
to forgive those who have hurt us. And so I want to encourage you, this Christmas, give the gift of forgiveness. Because when you choose to forgive, you embrace a gift greater than anything you could ever put under a Christmas tree. But let's get practical. What does it really mean to forgive? What does Jesus say about forgiveness? Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. Listen up. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, what? Forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must what? Forgive him. Now, there's a process of forgiveness here. Jesus starts out by saying, go and show. If someone offends you and you can't overlook the offense, you have a responsibility to, in love and humility, go in private and show the person who has sinned against you their fault. That's hard to do, isn't it? But that's what Jesus gives us the power to do. And the goal is always restoration. It's not about going and getting our pound of flesh. That's what we sometimes want to do, isn't it? No, it's restoration. And if they acknowledge it, the biblical word is confess. And if they commit to change, that's the word repent. (coughs) Actually, in this passage, if they say, I'm going to change, I'm going to repent, then we must forgive them. But what does it really mean to forgive? Forgive. (coughs) Forgiveness is the act of releasing someone from their debt to you. Forgiveness takes them off your hook and puts them on God's hook. Forgiveness is is acknowledging that evil was done. But I'm going to choose not to retaliate. Forgiveness is the promise not to bring it up to the person, to yourself, uh, or to others. Again, I'm not rehearsing it. I'm releasing it. Now please hear what I'm saying. Because there's all sorts of different ideas out there about what forgiveness is and isn't. Biblical forgiveness is not about minimizing the seriousness of the hurt that you experienced. It's not saying it's just okay. Second of all, forgiveness is not a feeling. Uh, Sometimes we say, well, I can't forgive them because I don't don't feel that in my heart. Well, no. Forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. If you wait till you have this feeling of forgiveness, you're going to wait a long, long time. That comes after the choice to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean that you forget what happened. Let me ask you this. Does God ever forget... God never forgets. That goes against His nature. He's God. But He does choose not to remember. In other words, He chooses not to hold our sin against us. He he can't theologically just forget. He knows what happens. There are things in life that are so awful, you will never forget them. But you can choose not to hold it against someone. Also, Forgiveness does not mean that there aren't any consequences or boundaries. I mean, think about this. If somebody embezzles money, do you keep them as your treasure? Of course not, right? Uh, You take steps to protect a wife or a child who's being abused. There are consequences. There are boundaries. But you might be asking, well, what if the person doesn't repent? 
What if they don't ask for forgiveness? What if they keep sinning against you? Well, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, get help. Get help. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says that if you go and they don't listen, then take two or three together with you. There's a process. Second of all, guard against bitterness. Guard against bitterness. The writer of Hebrews says this, strive for peace with everyone for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no, here it is, root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Bitterness is so easy, isn't it? To let that grow. Malachi McCourt once said this, resentment... <coughs> Resentment is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, uh, really, resentment just harms you. It hurts you. Counselor Pastor John Ortberg uh, writes this. He said, don't forgive and your anger will be your burden. Don't forgive, and bit by bit, all the joy will be choked out of you. Isn't that what holding a grudge does? Don't forgive, and you'll be unable to trust anybody ever again. Don't forgive, and the bitterness will crowd the compassion out of your heart slowly, utterly, forever. Don't forgive, and that little grudge you nurse will grow larger and stronger. Isn't that the truth? So how do you and I keep from becoming bitter? Well, this is what Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. These are Jesus' instructions. How do we overcome bitterness? We love them. We, we do what Joseph did. We seek what is best for them. And there are three ways to do that. Number one, do good to them. Don't return evil for evil, but as Paul said, overcome evil with good. Ask yourself this question. What does love require? Doing the most loving thing for other people may not be the easiest thing for you and me. But when you and I view life from God's perspective, even with the struggles that we have, in the end, we will recognize that it is worth it. Even if that person never comes to acknowledge how they've hurt you. Second of, all, or second of all, bless them. Bless them. To bless someone means to speak well of them. That's kind of the opposite of what we want to do. We want to talk trash about them, right? Yeah. But God says don't slander them. Bless them. Speak well of them. And then finally, pray for them. Pray for them. Ask God to work in their heart and yours. Uh, this seems so counterintuitive than the way people live today, doesn't it? But when you pray for people, God begins not only to change their heart, but He begins to change my heart. When you think about, and when we talk about overcoming offenses, I want to ask you, is God bringing a particular person or a situation to your mind right now here this morning? Many times I think instead of feeling the joy and peace that God wants you and me to have at this time of the year, too many of us allow the offenses of others to steal that joy away. Don't let that happen this year. 
This Christmas, God invites you and me to overcome offenses and offer the gift of forgiveness. And frankly, healing can't come if you and I keep holding on to these wrongs in our lives. And when we do, when we hold on to these wrongs, we miss out on the blessings that God wants you and me to experience. Uh, recently, I, I went to what we call a pastor's cohort, a local gathering of pastors where we hear each other's story. And uh, one of the local pastors shared this story with me. He grew up in Cortland. He had an abusive childhood. After uh, being abused by his dad, his father then abandoned him and his family. And he was filled with anger and bitterness. At the age of 16, feeling hopeless and depressed, he was invited by someone to go to a church in Cortland. He went and eventually became a follower of Jesus. And actually today he serves as a pastor over in Norwich. When he was 21 years old, his dad got in touch with him and wanted to come back into his life. Can you imagine how he must have been feeling about that? In his words, uh, he was thinking, are you serious? Why now? But as he processed his thoughts, he concluded this, and these are his words, if God extended grace to me, I must extend grace to him. So he invited his father <clears throat> over to dinner. And as he shares, it was very awkward, as you can imagine. Not only was he getting to know his estranged father, but his dad brought his new fiance with him, which he actually ended up marrying them. However, shortly after they got married, his father came down with cancer, and he died on December 18th. The pastor was 25 at the time of his dad's death. But here's the best part of the story that I want you to hear. Rather, and these are his words, rather than hanging on to 25 years of bitterness, he released it. And as a result, two days before his dad died, he was able to lead his dad to Jesus Christ. And now, he looks forward to the blessing of sharing eternity together with his dad. All because he was willing to forgive. Jason Gray <coughs> wrote a song called Forgiveness is the Miracle. And I'd like to share with you what he says about this song. Quote, it's meaningful to me to think of how Joseph forgiving Mary is part of the story that leads to the birth of the Savior in whom Joseph himself would find forgiveness for his own sins. Perhaps it's the narrative form of Jesus teaching that as we forgive, we find forgiveness. As we wrote the song, it was good to be reminded that forgiveness is a kind of miracle. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure that we can just muster up forgiveness on our own. Have you ever tried to forgive someone? I imagine we all have someone in our lives to forgive. A friend? A spouse? A parent or otherwise? My hope with this song was that as the season surfaces, these kinds of wounds in us. That Joseph's story might help start an inner conversation with the Holy Spirit that might lead people to the healing miracle of forgiveness that God wants to accomplish in our hearts and lives. We're going to watch a music video called Forgiveness is the Miracle. 
And I want to invite you as you watch and you hear this song to pray and ask God, is there someone in, in my life that I need to forgive? And then if God brings that person and that name to your mind, pray for them. Pray for yourself that God would work in your heart and life and help you overcome the offense. And then take steps to address the offense and to offer forgiveness. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And now I pray that the Spirit of God would take it in our hearts and lives that we wouldn't be hearers of the Word only, but doers of it. And right now, bring names, situations to our hearts and lives as painful as they may be and begin a process of healing. Thank You for the forgiveness that You offer us. Lord, give us the power to overcome offenses and forgive as well. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Thank you for the time and the word this morning, Matt.